Well, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Christ is risen. Is risen indeed. Isn't that a great creed? I like creeds. That's a good one. Grab your Bibles. Open them up. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. If you are just joining us, what's going on is that we are using the Apostles' Creed to help us examine the timeless truths uh, of the Christian faith. And uh, if you were here at the beginning of the first week, what we did is we started uh, the series by talking about how the Apostles' Creed is the earliest statement of faith in Christian history and, and how it served the church for centuries in our mission of making disciples, developing disciples of Jesus Christ. If you guys remember, we talked about how the Creed disciples us by summarizing the essential teachings of the Apostles, by clarifying who the true Jesus is and what the true gospel is, and that it brings symmetry to our lopsided view of God, our lopsided view of the church, and eternity. Summary, clarity, symmetry. So today, we're going to be looking at that wonderful phrase, the third day he rose from the dead. And we're asking the question this morning, what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for us? Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants upon his throne, he foresaw the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did he flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and all of us, we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. It's true. It's never a lie. It's like bread. It nourishes us. It strengthens us. It also shapes us and helps us love what we ought to love. So, Lord, help us hear your word today. Lord, I want to lift up uh, Annie to you today as... Uh, She's getting near to seeing you. She's in her final hours, final days. I'll pray for her, God, 
that she would finish well, she'd finish strong, continue to help her bear up, and Lord, show her mercy. We pray for also for her husband, Michael, that you'd show him mercy, grant him peace. Lord God, as we speak about the resurrection, we pray for them that uh, this would be their living hope. Their future is bright. Their future is bright. I pray for everyone here that may not know you. They may be playing church. They may be acting like a Christian but are not one. Their life has not been, their heart has not yet been converted from death to life. And God, I pray that they would hear your word today and that you, Holy Spirit, would bring them to life. They would completely trust in Jesus Christ and in the good hope and the good future that he has for them. Thank you, God. Help us hear your word with gratitude and with faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Just how essential is the resurrection of Jesus to Christianity? I mean, isn't it enough that we just believe that he died on a cross to save us from our sins? I mean, isn't that enough? Isn't that good? I think a quote from the Iron Deficiency Institute would kind of help us put this whole question in its proper context. Listen to this. I learned a, I learned a little bit something about iron this week. Quote, iron is so important that without it, all life would cease to exist. Every living thing, plants, animals, human beings, bacteria, good and bad, even cancer cells, all need iron to survive and grow. Plants require iron to make chlorophyll, which is necessary for growth, and it generates oxygen for humans to breathe. Plants, animals, and human beings require iron to make DNA, which encodes all life. Animals and humans also need iron to make hemoglobin, which delivers oxygen to the body. Iron also carries carbon dioxide out of the body, which plants need to function. Close quote. There are certain essential vitamins and minerals that humans need to continue to live and to function properly. I mean, that's the way that God designed our body. That's the way that God designed life. Take away one of those essential vitamins or minerals, take away iron from the body, and eventually death happens. Believing in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is kind of like that for the Christian. Believing in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is an irreducibly essential belief to being and functioning as a Christian. It's impossible for me to overstate the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. So let me say this in the strongest language possible. If you do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, you are not a Christian. Because there is no Christianity apart from it. And there is no salvation without it. Do you feel the weight of that, family? I hope you do. The, the, the person that says, look, I, I just can't buy this whole resurrection thing. Can't I be a Christian without believing in that miracle? They're actually asking something to the effect of, look, I just can't get into how important iron is. I mean, can't I just live life without iron in my body, 
in my blood? Well, the answer is no. We don't like yes and no, do we? There are some things that are yes and no. No. Not for very long anyway. Listen, you will cease to be a Christian in a matter of minutes without holding tightly to Christ's resurrection because it affects so many critical aspects of the gospel. I want to give three brief reasons for why we can rationally believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, but really what I want to do is I want to spend most of uh, my time this morning talking about why this historical event is significant. Why does it matter to us? That's what I want to really get to, okay? So first, here's three reasons why we can believe in this. Reason one, the disciples' skepticism and then their radical belief that Jesus rose from the dead. The disciples did not initially believe the report that Jesus rose from the dead. Did you guys know that? They didn't initially believe that. You know why? Because the disciples are, were just as skeptical about dead people coming back to life as you are. That's why. They weren't superstitious back then and ignorant. They had a hard time believing it just like you and I do. In fact, the scripture actually records and preserves forever the soon-to-be apostles of the church on how slow they were to believe in the resurrection. Isn't that amazing? Like, if you're making up a lie, you'd want to edit that part out, I would think. But then a dramatic occur, a change occurs all very suddenly in the disciples. Not gradually over time the way a legend would. They suddenly believe that Jesus is alive, and moreover, they start telling other people that he's alive, even to the risk of their own life. Now, why would they do that? The best explanation for this radical change from ardent skeptics to diehard believers in the resurrection is that Jesus really came back to life. Reason two, the timing of their claim. The timing of their claim. When the claim that Jesus had risen bodily was being spread, it was spread during a time when witnesses to that event were still alive. This claim didn't sprout up 100 years later or 200 years later like legends do. Okay, that's important. The timing's important. The writers of the New Testament, if you read the New Testament, they consistently, regardless who is the writer, they consistently make this claim that Jesus bodily rose from the dead, and then they remind their readers that the eyewitnesses are still alive to corroborate or disconfirm the claim that they're making. This is an ancient way of saying, look, go check out my claims for yourself. Here's my footnote. Go check out my footnote, and they'll tell you. The best explanation for this confidence is that Jesus actually rose from the dead and that he appeared to many eyewitnesses. Reason three, the location and the growth of Christianity. This one's really interesting. The passage that was just read is from the Apostle Peter's first public sermon. There were thousands of people gathered together that heard this sermon. Thousands of people were present when he preaches. Many of them were Jews who had just weeks, just weeks earlier had called for the crucifixion of Jesus and knew where his body had been buried. That's not a small detail. And then 
The apostle says in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. He makes that claim publicly in front of everyone, right? Now, if Jesus had not been physically raised, and if his dead corpse was still in the tomb, this would have been the time for the opponents of Christianity to argue with Peter. He's making a public claim. This isn't like in a church building. This is their time to stand up and go, ah, 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 you're telling a lie, and here's our proof. Don't listen to this man. All they needed to do was produce Christ's body, and Christianity would have been squashed right then and there in Jerusalem forever. Christianity, the gospel, would never have made it past the city limits that day, let alone into Judea or Samaria or the ends of the world if Jesus really was still dead. Yet the facts is, the facts are that Christianity has gained, gained explosive growth on that very day. It says that 3,000 received that message. 3,000 at one time received that claim. This is very important, guys. Christianity has been spreading ever since. Now, how do you explain that? The best explanation of the data, I think, is this. The best explanation for the explosive reception of the gospel in the very city that Jesus was publicly killed is that Jesus really did rise from the dead and he's not dead anymore. That's the only way that gets off the ground in that city, right? Guys, you and I have very good reasons for believing that Jesus is actually alive today. The question is, so what? So what does that mean for us? Isn't it enough that Jesus died for our sins? What is the significance of believing that Jesus has bodily risen from the dead? Well, there are three ways that the resurrection of Jesus is significant for your life and for my life in 2019. Here's the first. Christ's resurrection is the assurance of our forgiveness. His resurrection is the assurance of our forgiveness. Let's go to the text here, Acts 2, 31 and 32. The apostle Peter says, King David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades. Remember last week, he descended into Hades, right? He, he, he was dead, dead, right? Corpse dead. Peter says, he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up up and of that we are all witnesses jesus died to pay for our sins against god sin is ignoring or rejecting god in the world that he has created right so when jesus was killed through government sanctioned capital punishment he was taking upon himself the penalties of crimes that he did not commit right our crimes is what he died for. And it was our crimes not against Almighty Rome, as great and powerful as Rome was, but it was our crimes against Almighty God that he took upon himself. See, the purpose of Jesus' death was to absorb the penalty that our sins rightly deserve, which is the wrath of God for ignoring and rejecting him in the world that he created. By raising Jesus from death, it proved, physically, visibly, publicly proved, that God found his death an acceptable atonement for our sins. 
God did not abandon him to the grave in wrath, but rather raised him back to life. That's God's way of saying, I approve of what you've done, son. I approve of what the sacrifice that you make. Therefore, the penalty of our sins, brothers and sisters, is paid in full. It's paid in full. The justice of God has been fully satisfied. That means that there is no more penalty, there is no more justice hanging over our heads out in the future that we need to pay for through certain deeds or actions. You and I are fully reconciled to God right now if you are trusting in resurrected Jesus. You and I are accepted and he acknowledges that we are his if we are trusting in resurrected Jesus. The resurrection assures us that in the words of the old, old hymn, Jesus paid it all. Don't you hope he paid it all? The resurrection assures you he has paid it all. It's an event. The Apostle Paul explains the significance of the resurrection with these words in 1 Corinthians 15. For if the dead are not raised, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith, meaning your faith in Christ, then your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. And then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Do you follow Paul's logic here? The apostle says that if Jesus stayed dead, it means that God did not accept his death as sufficient for paying for the penalty of our sins. It was, it was sufficient maybe for him, but not for anyone else. There's, there, there's more for us to pay off. There's more that we must do. It's not really finished, like Jesus said. But if God chooses to raise Jesus from the dead, then it signifies that he has accepted his death as completely sufficient for atoning and pardoning our sins. And it is because he has been raised bodily from the dead. See, the resurrection is such good news because it means that when God claims that all our sins are forgiven, God says that to you and I without crossing his fingers. You know what I'm saying? He means it. He means what he says. The most vile, the most filthy, selfish thoughts and deeds that I've ever done or had, that you have ever done or had, they are completely forgiven. The offense against God has been removed, and God is no longer angry with us about our offenses. He's not angry with you and I. Isn't that great? It's not because of anything you did, though. It's because of Jesus. Because he's risen from the dead. If we've trusted in Christ's life and death and resurrection, God proclaims over us the very same thing that he proclaimed over his son through the resurrection. Not guilty. That's what he was saying over his son. Hey, you saw that and you thought he's dying because he was guilty. Uh-uh, he was not guilty. Guess what? You're not guilty if you have united yourself in faith to resurrected Jesus. Just as God has accepted Jesus instead of abandoning him to Hades or death, so also God has accepted us, and he will not abandon us to death. We will go there, but we will not stay there. Amen? Our forgiveness is not based on our personal feelings. Isn't that good news? But it is based on a public historical, physical fact. 
the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Because Jesus is raised, you are forgiven by God for real, forever. Good news. You can stop trying to pay for your sins. You can accept Christ's atonement and that it's completely acceptable to God. It's completely satisfying to God. Secondly, Christ's resurrection is the power for new life. His resurrection is the power for new life. Let's go back, let's go here to uh, 1 uh, Peter 1.3. Peter's got a lot more to say about this than he gets credit for, I just gotta say. I like Peter. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. Who causes us to have salvation? That's right. You don't cause it. He causes you to be born again. He has caused us to be born again. To a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is so much in that one sentence. I, I mean, we're just going to talk about a little bit of this, okay? This is so thick. The scriptures plainly teach us that Jesus was resurrected, not resuscitated. And that matters, okay? That matters. As Christians, we confess, and I got to say, we, we think of it that way, do we not? Because that's easier for our minds to get wrap around that. But he was resurrected. As Christians, we confess that Jesus truly died. He was truly buried. He descended into Hades, right? He was dead, dead. Not fake dead. Not fainted, right? The breath of his life had completely gone out of his body, and he became a corpse. We worship a former corpse. Isn't that crazy? For three days, according to the ancient way of reckoning time, Three days. And then, Jesus was regenerated. What does that mean? It means that life flowed back into his dead body, and yet, his body was changed somewhat. It was his body, yet it was different in some ways. The life that flowed back into his body changed his physical body into one that could never die again. Death and decay can't touch it. So Jesus was both brought to life and made new through the resurrection. That's what Peter is talking about in verse 3. There's a lot in that verse. The apostle says that in the same way that Jesus was brought back to life when he was dead, we have been brought to life when we were dead in our sins. In the same way that Jesus was made new through his resurrection, we are made new right now through his resurrection if we are trusting in resurrected Jesus. There's a new kind of life animating us now, Christians. There's a new kind of power that's actually living on the inside and working on the inside. It's resurrection power. There's an old gospel song that says, I got something on the, ins- I got something on the inside that's working on us outside. Oh, what a change in my life. That's about resurrection power. Let's go to the flip over to Apostle Paul, Romans 8, verse 11. The apostles all taught this. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body, your, your physical body, through his spirit who dwells in you. The theological word for this phenomenon that takes place in people is called regeneration, all right? Regeneration, that's bringing to life something that once was dead. And Peter says that this is our living hope. It's a real hope. It's a real hope. It's a living hope. Now, what is this hope? Uh, what, what hope does regeneration give us exactly? Well, part of this hope is that we're made new in Christ. We can actually live differently than we used to live or that we've been currently living. We can live differently. This life-giving power has made such a radical change of allegiance inside of us that Peter has to make up a phrase for it. Born again. It defies categories. So he's got to make up a new category. You and I have got to think in a different category. The change that happens in you, if the Holy Spirit is living in you, is that you are born again. You're not adopting a religion. You're not adopting just a philosophy, although those are, are, are parts of that or working out of that. Sure, something's happened. We're born again. The change is that radical. Regeneration is not, it's not like adding a little positivity to your outlook on life, okay? It's not either adding a little energy and passion for the work that you're doing. It's not that kind of life, okay? Regeneration is like becoming a brand new person at your very core. It's like coming out of your mom's womb or something like that. You're born again. You're, you're a new human. You're a different person now. There's an old word we don't say much. You've been converted. You haven't just added something. You're converted. We're also alive to God. We're alive to God because Jesus rose from the dead and he's imputed his life into us. That is taking place right now. See, now, now we want to know God. Before, we didn't want to know God. Before, you know, the, 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 uh, the Almighty was like a turnoff. He was a cosmic killjoy or we were scared of him. I don't really want to know God. Now we want to know God. Now we're really interested in who God is and what he's about. Because that new life has taken place. We've been born again. Now he's very interesting to us. Now we want to love whatever God loves. We want to hate whatever God hates. Now we want to do whatever God says because we have been born again, regenerated, brought to life by the power of resurrected Jesus. But there's even more than just regeneration. As good as that is, there's even more. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we experience something called sanctification. There's regeneration and there's sanctification. Being brought to life and being made new. See, we're not just alive to God like we never were alive to God. We're also dead to sin. We are dead to the sin that we used to serve and love and cherish and follow like slaves. We're dead to sin. The Apostle Paul, Romans 6, verse 10. 
For the death that he, that's Jesus, for the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, here's putting it on us now, that's not significant to us, so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. You see how God cares about our body, what we put in it, do with it, take out of it? Here's what this means. We can change. We can change. Isn't that good news? You can change. You can change your mind. You can change what you think. You can change how you feel. You can change. There's only one that does not change, that is immutable. You know who that is? God. So quit trying to be like God and say, I'm never going to change. You can change. You were made to change. You were made to change. This church was made to change. Only God changes not. We can be transformed into the image and likeness of God. Yes, we can. Good news, you don't have to just kind of hold on. I got my salvation. I got my ticket into heaven, which is a very thin understanding of salvation, and I just wait till heaven, and then he's just going to make me new. Why do that? Why would you do that if you really believe that's what was going to happen? Why would you not want more of that invading the earth and invading your body, invading your life? Good news, it can. The renovation project starts right now. Why? Because I hope it does. Because I wish it would. Because I feel like it should. Why? Why? Because Jesus was physically raised from the dead in time, in space, in a body, in history. Because an event happened. I hope you understand how significant this event is. Something objective happened in the real world right smack in the middle of history, not at the end of history, which is when everyone thought that would happen. That's significant. Jesus rose from the dead. The creed says what? On the third day. They're talking about time. They're placing it in time. Listen, you and I can experience change starting today. And a lot, I hear people, when I say that to Christians, like, yeah, 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 but it won't be fully till, won't be fully till. I say, why are you emphasizing that? I don't know how much I can experience today, but I want all I can. I don't know about you. I want as much as I possibly can. We can't be free from the rule of sin. We can't be free from the dominion of Satan. And instead, we can be ruled by Christ, who is the king. Yes, we can. Not because it's a feeling, and not because it's a wish, because it's a fact. It happened. Something happened. 2,000 years ago. We can, brothers and sisters, sacrifice for one another till it helps. You people talk about give till it hurts? No, give till it helps. We can sacrifice for one another instead of living like consumers of one another. What's Crossway doing for me? What's my life group doing for me? What's my triad doing for me? No, 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 no. What am I doing? What, how can I give? Yeah, you can live that way. I don't care how your parents raise you. I don't care what you, you can. The gospel says you can live that way. We can forgive our enemies instead of hating them. 
Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, you can. We can resist cynicism. That is the reigning philosophy in our world right now, cynicism. Everything good is going to turn out bad. Just you watch. Just you wait. Oh, no, you can resist cynicism, Christian. If you're a gospel person, if you're a resurrection-believing person, you shouldn't be cynical. shouldn't be cynical. We should be the most optimistic people on the planet. And you can resist cynicism. You don't have to go along with that. We can resist rage. Yes, we can. We can resist greed and always got to have more and some more and some more. I can be satisfied. We can be satisfied. We can resist lust. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Instead of submitting to all these things like it's just normal, it's just normal. Now, Jesus defines normal. We can learn to love reading the scriptures every day. Yes, we can learn to love that every day. Yes, we can learn love singing songs to the Lord. Yes, you can. We can learn to love being generous with one another. Yes, we can. Why? Because the new birth gives us new loves. You see what I'm saying? We need to be people that are shaped by loving what we ought to love. And the resurrection helps us do that. Thirdly, that Christ's resurrection is our hope for the future. And the future is bright, brothers and sisters. The resurrection is our hope for the future. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 26. The apostle Paul says, but in fact, in fact, I love you talking about facts. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man death came, by a man also uh, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You see the condition? Not everyone gets this. It's those that are in Christ. They're believing into Christ. They're trusting into Christ, the resurrected Christ. But each in his own order. Christ is the first, first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he, Christ, delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When does that happen? After destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The physical resurrection of Jesus, listen, it was an eschatological event. There's another really big word, so you guys think I'm smart. What does that mean? Eschatology means the study of last things, okay, or end of time, end of days, end of time, last time, okay? The apostles taught that what is going to happen at the end of history is that those who die still believing Christ is king will be raised from the grip of the grave in a glorified yet physical body just like Jesus was raised in a glorified yet physical body. That's the significance. What is happening at the end of time has broken in ahead of schedule and it's changed things. Death gets to mock Christians for a time. That's the sting of death. 
It gets to mock you and I who are believers, who confess this stuff. It makes fun of us, and it makes fun of us like the scoffers did at the foot of the cross mocking Jesus Christ. Remember them mocking him? That wasn't for nothing that that stuff was included in the crucifixion scene. Well, death mocks you and I if you're a believer in Jesus Christ up until the moment that you die. What do they say? Hey, why don't you, Jesus, come off the cross if you're the king of the universe? Why don't you save yourself from death if you're the king, if you're really in control of everything? Why don't you come off the cross, save yourself from death, excuse yourself from death, and then we'll believe. We'll believe in you. We'll believe you really have all power. Right? Isn't that what they said mockingly? Well, death mocks you and I. If you continue to believe Jesus up into the second that you die, it still mocks us. Hey, this Jesus that you trust your life with really is king over everything? Then why doesn't he save you from me, death says? Why isn't he saving you from me right now? Why do I get you? He must not be the king. But in fact, Christ did rise on the third day. Guys, listen. He defeated death precisely because he did not get rescued from it. Let me say that again. I don't know if you heard the gravity of that statement. He defeated death precisely because he did not get rescued from it. Jesus was swallowed up by it. He descended into it all the way to the bottom of the pit, right? And he slayed the power of it from the inside. He slayed the power of the grave from where? Not outside the grave, from inside the grave. That's how you know it's really beat. (laughs) That's how you know it's really slayed. Death does mock us for a minute, but death does not get the last word in the life of a Christian. Life does. Christ does. Christ is so strong. He's so supreme that he not only saves our soul, but he saves our body as well. That's how complete of a Savior is. That's how fully saved we are. He will not relinquish one thing to death that belongs rightfully to him. Death doesn't get a little trophy on its shelf, not even your body. Say, nope, that's mine too, and that's mine. I get it all back. You get nothing. Isn't that great? That's how secure we are. That's how bright the future is for you and me. Crossway, because Jesus has been raised to life, we do not need to fear death, though it is fearful. We do not need to fear loss. We don't need to fear that. Let the good news of the resurrection motivate you to live with hope today. If you are tired from battling a particular sin, it's just over and over and over, and you're battling, you're tired, you're weary from, from fighting that, then ask Christ to infuse you with new life to fight it. And he will grant that to you. Resurrection life through the Holy Spirit. Yes, he will. If your body is failing Ask Christ to remind you of the new resurrected body that he has promised you. Picture that. Picture that. If you are grieving a death, then ask Christ to remind you that he will one day restore every life that belongs to him and he will not lose one and you will enter into the joy of your master one day.
and you won't be sad anymore and there will be no tears. You will only rejoice with him forever. This is the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day. Guys, Christians are really the only people that can say the best is yet to come. And that doesn't sound like a cat poster. You know what I'm saying? Like, we really can say that because Jesus has risen. The best is yet to come. And this is good news that the world needs to hear. Share that with someone this week. Share that good news with someone. Isn't Jesus good? Doesn't he rule? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We're thankful that we get to talk to you because you're alive and you hear me right now. (laughs) Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for not only dying, but for rising again in your body publicly, visibly. We can change. We do have a living hope. The future is bright. The future is not dark. The future is bright for us, for all who are trusting in you, resurrected Jesus. Lord God, would you please take your word, press it into our heart, and begin to change us right now in Jesus' name. Grant us comfort where we need it. Grant us courage to do hard things because we will lose nothing in you. In your name we pray, amen.